song. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. You might feel that way about a family member. <laughs> I came across a couple images this week that just kind of made me giggle. And it's, uh, just want to show you and let's see if you can see which one doesn't belong. It starts pretty easy at the beginning. Number one. <laughs> one of these things is not like the other. Number two. I'm a 
maneuver, I navigate this current world that I'm in through these markers. And so they may appear like they don't have anything in common. I think when you get to the end, you'll see there is a lot more in common. You ready? These are the words of Jesus, a little teaching. We're going to begin with chapter 17, starting with verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble, so you watch yourselves. Wow. <laughs> that is pretty radical. I mean, Jesus is talking about, I'm going to put a millstone on your neck, I'm going to throw you in the ocean. Isn't that a little mafia-like? It's crazy. Why is Jesus being so passionate about anybody who would cause a stumble? Now, you've got to remember, the Pharisees are there listening to Jesus. The, the, the radical religious group. Jesus isn't talking about us being radically religious. He's talking about us being a radical follower. And that we imitate Jesus. So Jesus is trying to win sinners to himself. And the Pharisees are busy trying to keep sinners from coming to Jesus. And so Jesus says, you're being a stumbling block. Oh boy. Try to take somebody and talk them out of being a follower of Jesus. That requires or calls for millstone judgment. Now look at our current times. You know, secular professors, actors, music, celebrities, TV personalities, politicians, who have made it their aim to tear down Christianity. They do not know it, but they have a millstone waiting for them to judge. It'd be that kind of stumbling block. Yeah. Jesus says, you watch yourself. Now, in that crowd that day, guess what? There were no secular professors, there were no actors, no music celebrities, no TV personalities, no politicians. You know who was in the crowd that day when he said that? Religious people. As you and I know, religious people sometimes can do just as much harm as good. Jesus says, don't be that person. Don't be that stumbling block in someone's life. If there's a chance they're trying to get close to me, you help them get there. Boys, we're about to go into Thanksgiving, and that's quite a march. Those are some intense marching orders for our Thanksgiving meal, isn't it? Especially if you're going to be in a part of a large family. Radical. Jesus isn't done. Verse 3. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And I underline the word must in my Bible. Must. You know what? When you're offended, back. Tell 30 other people. Hold a grudge. <laughs> no, that's not what Jesus says. If someone sins against you seven times, slap them. <laughs> no, that's not what Jesus says. He says something radical. Forgive them. And the more we know about Jesus, the more we know that he's about restoration in a relationship. He's about reconciliation. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation too. God is trying to reconcile people to him. And Corinthians says, just as God has that ministry of reconciliation, so do all of you. 
You're part of that reconciliation. I said it best with a family member. It doesn't take any courage to burn down the bridge. It takes a lot of courage to build it. Maybe this holiday, God is asking you to build a bridge to somebody. You're going to sit there and try to play some game. I'm not the one that torched that bridge. It's not my fault there's no bridge between us. Jesus says, I want you to forgive them. If you're one of my followers, I want you to forgive them. Wow, that is radical. This is the person Jesus has always been, by the way. In John chapter 8, there's a story of a woman who's caught in adultery. A whole bunch of people pick up stones. After all, adultery is worthy of being stoned. And they, they throw this woman before Jesus. What do you say, Jesus? You know, the, the law says the stoner and the whole crowd picked up stones. In one of those amazing moments of Jesus just having the perfect thing to say. He tells them, okay, stoner, go ahead, stoner. All of you who are without sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. Which is very powerful because in that crowd there was only one without sin, and that was Jesus. And guess what? He didn't have one of these in his hand. And all these people who had a stone and wanted to throw them. Which, by the way, when you decide to throw stones at somebody, stones don't hit sins, they hit people. It's just so hard bring him back into a relationship with Jesus when you're a stone thrower in your life. Jesus says, that's my follower, that's not who I want you to be. And so, one by one, the Bible says, the crowd dropped their stones. Can you imagine that, a whole mob, when you start hearing these thuds in the dirt? It's a little louder because I'm on a platform, but... That's what bridge sounds like. When you just drop the stone. Forgive, Jesus says. You must forgive. Boy, is that hard? It's going to be hard. It's going to take a lot of faith to get there, and the disciples recognize that too. That's why we go into that next section, verse 5. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. I bet. He just said, you got to forgive. Even up to seven times, you got to forgive, forgive, forgive. And they said, you better increase our faith. And he replied, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, that's pretty radical. Jesus says before that, that we can, with just the faith of a mustard seed, tell this mountain, be moved to the sea, and the mountain will go. Here he's saying you can uproot a tree. You know, we're not talking about gardening here. We're not talking about remodeling your yard. That's not it. We're talking here about uprooting something in our life. And if you have the seed, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can pull that off. And here they thought they had to have this great, huge faith to pull off that level of forgiveness. Jesus says it doesn't take that much. Which, by the way, throwing mountains into the ocean and throwing trees into the ocean, not one person in all of the Bible does. All those great men and women of faith, not one of them did it. Jesus isn't talking about something physical here. He's talking about something spiritual. He might be talking about something emotional in our lives. 
I can uproot a lot of bad in my life when I increase my faith. What does it mean to increase one's faith? It means my trust level of God goes up. I can, un I can uproot a lot of bad when I start trusting Him more. Maybe this morning that's something you needed to hear. That no matter what happens in our life, no matter how tragic, no matter how painful, no matter how crushing, I'm going to respond to those moments with faith. I'm just going to trust God. What does that feel like, that level of faith down in your gut when you get there? It's a little scary, I'll be honest. God, I'm scared to death today, but I'm just going to trust you. Man, that's what I And then the last one, oh my goodness, right? I wanted to skip this part of the passage, but I made a commitment to go through this verse by verse, and so I decided to dive in. Here's why it's going to be so radical, because it doesn't set well with American people to work so hard and so diligently and not get any acknowledgement for it. But you've got to put yourself in ancient times, and Jesus is going to be talking about a servant and a master, so you can picture the time period, but he's talking about servanthood here. You ready? Verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing and, or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat with me? Verse 8. Won't he rather say, okay, now that you're done with that, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink, and then after that you may eat and drink. Verse 9. Will he thank the servant? Because he did what he was told to do. So you also, now here comes the punch from Jesus, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. <coughs> wow. What a worthy servant, by the way. I mean, you, you talk about a, a, a servant uh, of extreme value, this guy had to be it. He could be trusted in the fields, he could be trusted with the flocks, and he could be trusted in the household. He can be trusted when he's inside of the master, but he can also be trusted when he's outside of the master. This guy was a servant like none other. And you'd think somewhere along the way there'd be somebody applauding that. And Jesus says, don't wait for their applause. You just go through life being a servant and don't wait for somebody to applaud you. You know how many hundreds of people in this ministry do that every week? Hundreds of people who just serve and serve and they never hear a thank you. Our youth ministries are packed full of people, amazing people with big hearts. And seldom does a parent come along and say, you know, I need to thank you for what you're doing in my kid's life. Our children's ministry is packed full of amazing men and women who just love ministering to kids. And they're down in the basement, they're out of sight. Half the time, our parents don't know enough to say thank you. Uh, our text in every worship service people in the back. If something goes wrong up here, you know, you real quick look back and see who's running the board, but otherwise you just don't say thank you or anything. The musicians, the guy who gets our coffee every Sunday, you have no idea. Gary comes in uh, before the lights are on in this building. He starts making pot after pot after pot of coffee, and then he sets it up so attractively and he makes sure that all the cups are there for you and stuff. And if you look, you can see him moving around, but nobody ever stops and says thank you to Gary. Some of you are, man, 
had a uh, holding giveaway here at the church. I mean, right after that big event of the Harvest of Talents, we went right into a clothing giveaway. It was one of our women's vision and dream to have a clothing exchange for young moms. But this thing went crazy. It just grew and grew and grew. And what we thought was going to be in a small room, we ended up having to move into this gymnasium. I mean, there are just tables and tables and tables of free clothes and nice stuff. And we just told the whole community, you can just come in and just take what you want. No charge, no tickets, there's no expense, just take it. And people walked out of here from our community, over 500 people from our community, walked out of here with great big bags of just free clothing. Some of our servants that day, people who served, they gave way more than they even anticipated giving. They accidentally... Uh, hung their coats too close to the printers. <laughs> there's some dude who walked out here going, I even got a car, look, there's keys. <laughs> and even those people were just, you know, it's okay, it's, it's alright. Jesus says when you've done everything you can to serve, then you just simply say, I'm unworthy. What I did. My father served our family by working. That's how he served our family. All my childhood, my dad had two jobs. He worked third shift at, at a factory, a fire factory in Akron, Ohio. All night long, he'd come home in the morning, grab a quick breakfast, and then he'd go out to a little roofing uh, company that he had. He started a little roofing business. And that, that was my entire childhood, was my dad working two jobs to make ends meet. He, when he retired, he didn't retire a millionaire, but he did raise a family. And so when he announced that he was going to retire, that day came and he walked out of that shop for the last time. I was standing outside applauding. See, I didn't know as a child to tell my parents that. But as an adult, I knew. some young people in the room today and you're trying hard to mature. And I want you to mature. But as long as you think all of this is just something that mom and dad do, but they have to, you're not maturing. At some point a child has to say thanks. Thanks for what you did. And while I'm applauding my dad, you know what he said? It's not that I don't deserve that. Yeah, you deserve the Bible says my dad had the right attitude. One day when we get into heaven, Jesus grabs us and he hugs us and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into your reward. But until then, we're just a servant. Who do you serve like that where you don't wait for any acknowledgement? Anyone? Is there a family member? This Thanksgiving is going to be an opportunity to just serve them. Even if they don't say the right thing to you, just serve them and let it go. Or a neighbor. Or a stranger. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And even if they do give you some credit, if they do applaud you, if they do say, you're amazing, your job is to say, I give all the credit to God. Is to give all the honor to Him. I preached a sermon one Sunday, and afterwards, uh, the youngsters came to me and they said, you better come back in the auditorium. There's a gentleman sitting there. He's just crying like crazy. He said, he said this because of your sermon. I said, you're kidding. No. I came back in, and this guy, he just, 
wow, that was such an incredible sermon. It was the best sermon I ever heard. It was so moving, so powerful. And, and I thanked him, and then, you know, after a while, even I started feeling a little humble. And so finally I said it. I said the right thing. I said, you know what? It wasn't me. I said, it hit you so powerfully. I'm sure it was the Spirit. I'm sure it was the Lord. He just stopped crying. He looked at me and goes, you're right. He said, I, he said you're right. I've heard you preach before. You're not that good. <laughs> I didn't invite him to be a member, but anyway, it just... Alright, so, here it again. You be careful of your influence on others so that you're not a stumbling block. You, you unleash the power of forgiveness powerful in their life, it's very powerful in your life. You expand your faith, grow your faith, have more trust, and you serve without being applauded. One of these things are not like the other, it's not like one of these things doesn't belong. No, these are compass markers that help us navigate this world, and this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, this isn't for cowards, this is hard stuff. But it's meaningful stuff. And in the end, it adds up to a lot more than what you realize. Yeah, they might be a little random, but you can do these things. Most of us in the room say, man, Ron, that's just so much. It's unnatural for me to do it. I'm only human, you know, Ron. Yeah, I hear that. I'm only human, too. But the difference between the Christian and the world is we're human with the Holy Spirit in us. And that's what helps us get to where we 